Welcome to another episode of Anecdotal Evidence, the podcast sponsored by the American Institute of Dental Public Health. I'm your host, Annalise Cothran, and thank you for joining us on part two of our series with the Truth Initiative. The Truth Initiative is America's largest nonprofit public health organization committed to making tobacco use a thing of the past. If you missed last week's episode, I would encourage you to check it out and give it a listen before diving into part two. Last week, Beth and Barbara discussed the Truth Campaign's evidence-based health communication process, their innovative implementation of peer-to-peer campaign strategies, and the direct impact of their campaigns to include significant reductions in combustible tobacco use. In part two of this two-part episode, we learn about policy initiatives and FDA regulation for vaping and e-cigarettes, communicating with patients about vaping, the environmental impact of vaping and nicotine products, and the upcoming Surgeon General's report on oral health. In case you missed it last week, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Hare, who oversees the Schroeder Institute, the health communication research branch at the Truth Initiative. Her work includes the formative research of the Truth Campaign and the longitudinal evaluation of the campaign's effectiveness in communicating anti-smoking messages to young adults. In addition, Dr. Hare conducts research on youth use of traditional and emerging tobacco products. I'm also joined by Dr. Barbara Schillow, also from the Schroeder Institute at the Truth Initiative, who has over 20 years of experience in conducting applied research, managing research and public health programs, and leading organizational management. At Truth Initiative, she provides leadership for research that examines the impact of tobacco-related policies on youth and young adults. Let's hear what Barbara and Elizabeth have to say about the policy strategies currently supported by the Truth Initiative. I know that a lot of work that the Truth Campaign is involved in, um, the Tobacco 21 policy has been something that we've heard a lot about recently in this most le- in this most current legislative session, where raising the age for accessing um, Juul products, e-cigarette products to 21, and, and all tobacco products to 21, has actually been supported by the tobacco companies. They're sort of agreeing um, that 21 is is the right age. But what what a lot of the research seems to indicate is that age is not really a barrier in terms of accessing these devices. And that kind of the things that you're talking about, like flavors and really these very targeted messages that are directed um, at youth that are in spaces that youth are in and they are, you know, there to appeal to youth, that that's really the driver. It's not necessarily the age of access, but the things that you're talking about that directly relate to marketing. So I was hoping that maybe you could talk a little bit about, number one, kind of the process that the FDA follows in terms of allowing new devices or new tobacco-related products, how they regulate them. And then number two, maybe kind of segueing into Tobacco 21 and other policies that you feel like are appropriate in terms of being able to curb this epidemic that we're seeing around e-cigarette use and vaping. Well, that's a great question, and it's an area that Beth and I often get questions about when we're out talking about it, and it can be complicated because um, people in our audiences will ask us, well, why is this not regulated? Is it regulated? And the answer is, it is a regulated product. The FDA has authority to regulate e-cigarettes. However, they have not 
exercised their full authority to do so. And essentially, the products have been allowed to stay in the market um, relatively unchecked. Um, so in 2017, the FDA decided to allow e-cigarettes to remain on the market through August of 2022 without review, and it hasn't made moves to reverse this decision. Although the former FDA Commissioner Scott Geitley, before he resigned, did make the case to move that deadline up to 2021, a year earlier. Um, however, that didn't happen. And so at this point, uh, the date August 2022 is out there for uh, the deadline under which all of these products will have to be submitted to a review process through FDA through approval. But it's 2019 and a lot has happened in the last couple of years on these products. And so those of us um, here at Truth and our partners in tobacco control really believe that um, urgent action is needed to protect um, young people today. And so there have been a couple of things that have happened um, just recently. Um, there's been a pair of court developments related to FDA and Juul that we believe, again, has highlighted the urgency of regulatory action. So a federal judge ruled that FDA acted illegally to, by deciding to allow e-cigarettes to remain on the market till 2022, and has actually taken action saying that um, uh, the plaintiffs in the case have to say what remedial action is going to be taken. So sort of really through uh, uh, um, uh, court action is really sort of pushing on that deadline and saying, you know, we've got a problem now, what's going to be done? Um, and so um, that's something that we are very interested, along with all of our partners at the Heart Association Long Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, in terms of understanding uh, what's going to happen on that legal front. Um, at the same time, we saw at North Carolina, they actually filed the lawsuit against Juul for designing, marketing, and selling e-cigarettes in a way that it knows will attract minors and deceptively downplaying the potency and danger. So um, those are just a couple of recent developments that here at Truth and really all of our partners and really anybody who is concerned about the health of young people are really paying close mm -hmm. attention to and looking at um, very closely. So then to think about it in the context of Tobacco 21, because you hear a lot about that. You, um, people in many states are hearing a lot about it because we've seen incredible movement forward on that uh, policy, uh, the policy to uh, uh, raise the minimum age to purchase tobacco products, including e-cigarettes, um, to uh, age 21. And this is a measure that Truth, of course, supports. Um, it has significant potential to save lives, um, and many have enacted it at the state and at the local levels, and then this uh, in, in recent uh weeks we've seen introduction of some federal legislation, but at Truth we believe it's important to note a couple of things, and you hit on one of them, Annalise, is that we've also seen the tobacco industry recently coming out in support of these measures, um, and there's some concern that uh, Tobacco 21 gives cover to the industry and distracts from many other actions needed to protect young people, in particular protecting young people um, from the harms of e-cigarettes. So we support Tobacco 21 and uh, have supported states, especially states that pass strong Tobacco 21 laws that don't allow a lot of exemptions or delays or phases, phases in or doesn't preempt local jurisdictions from doing anything stronger um, than what the state law is. We support Tobacco 21, but we really think there has to be more action to prevent e-cigarettes from addicting a new generation of young people. And that could include eliminating flavors, banning online sales, 
restricting marketing appealing to youth, and requiring a thorough pre-market review of e-cigarettes. So, so I, I know that um, a lot of the, the things that you touched on too, um, that have policy implications potentially, um, is that there is a lot of very targeted um, marketing strategies. Is there any way, uh, and it also reminds me too actually, as a side note, I used to work at the Mississippi Tobacco Data um, Research Group at the Social Science Research Center at Mississippi State University. And so we wound up getting civil penalties money um, because tobacco companies got sued for very specifically targeting young people. So they were looking to make um, addicts out of young people so that they have customers for life. And there was a lot of research that very specifically substantiated that claim, which is why all of this lawsuit money came to us to then help reverse the damage that was done. So along those lines, we see now that tobacco companies are, are reaching out to very young social media influencers. They're looking at um, companies that have target demographics of you know, young people ages 16 to 24, and it seems like a very specific and, and targeted approach to, um, to getting young people interested in these products. So do you feel like they are following the same trajectory that these, you know, that we saw with cigarette use and combustibles? And do you feel like there's a policy implication here down the road for that kind of marketing? Um, and then on the flip side, how does the truth campaign then sort of knowing this information, how does the truth campaign approach um, their counter marketing strategies? Mm -hmm. So first, I'm going to start with the first part of your question, and we will absolutely agree that we believe that e-cigarette companies have taken um, uh, pages out of the big tobacco playbook in terms of marketing to youth and young adults. You can see it in some of the of the the ads that they were using, the flavors, who they were partnering with. So yes, we believe that is happening. We also believe that's why we we are seeing part of it this this massive rise in use um, among youth and young adults. Um, in terms of what the truth campaign is doing is we are trying to do some counter marketing. We're trying to put out that information. I think that some of the information and Barbara said it earlier was that, that um, in one of the lawsuits, Joel has been, um, they are suggesting that Joel used deceptive practices in terms of not putting forward actually how addictive or harmful their products could be. And so right now we are taking that approach of trying to, to dispel that, right? That safer, just because an e-cigarette is safer than a cigarette does not make it safe. So our whole vaping campaign right now is built off of the safer is not equal to safe. And really trying to put out there that there is harm associated with using this product. It doesn't smell like a cigarette, but it's still doing things to your to you and um and and that you need to be aware of that before you're putting you know, to make that decision to light, you know, a a jewel or use a jewel or, or another e-cigarette device um, as well. And so that again, you've, we've got our puppet ads out. If you've seen any of our puppet ads, um, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, it's a way to engage with this, this generation um, in a somewhat humorous way on a topic that they may not want to actually hear the information about yet and, and be able to get them to engage with us and have a conversation with us about the fact that e-cigarettes are, are not actually a safe product. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you touch on that because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation around e-cigarettes and vaping, particularly with youth. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like I mentioned in my own experience communicating with my daughter, I thankfully we have a great open, honest relationship. She talks about all of her friends and peers that have used, Mm -hmm. you know, that vape or use Juul, and they always talk about, well, I'm not smoking, so it seems to be okay. Um, And so. I'm glad that the truth campaign is sort of tackling this information, this misinformation, but I'm also interested in whether or not you have any advice for practitioners. So here at the American Institute of Dental Public Health, we're here to support the science and education of dental public health. And we we try to serve as a professional resource um, for oral health advocates. And so along that same line, you know, do you have any communication tools that you would recommend to practitioners who come across misinformation, particularly dentists, you know, pediatric dentists who mm-hmm. might want to engage in conversation directly with youth? Yeah. So first, I'm going to say we keep a whole host of things on our website. So I would I would direct them. And I, and I hope um, those that are listening here would actually go to the Truths website and pull a lot of our information down. It is really a key um, resource to learning about the e-cigarette products and and what they are and how kids are using them. Second is really take being forthright with the youth and young adults. I mean, we had some early surveys where they don't think of it as smoking, right? They think this is something different. It's jeweling. This is not the same thing as smoking a cigarette. And in many cases, almost two thirds didn't even realize nicotine was in the um, the liquid with which they were inhaling. And so helping them understand that nicotine is in almost all of, of these, um, especially the pod-based um, products, is really important um, information to share with them, especially with when they when they're talking about the different um, flavors. And then I'm going to let Barbara talk a little yeah. more about some of the stuff we think. Well, about I want to talk. This is a great opportunity to highlight um, a um, uh, a program that we have to support quitting um, among young people and among young people who are vaping. And this is really a one of its kind um, program. Um, most cessation or quitting programs are designed around combustible cigarettes and they're designed for adults. But what we saw last summer, starting last summer on all of our social media platforms was were young people reaching out and saying, help me, I need help. I need treatment. Um, uh, they may not have used the word treatment, but they needed help to quit smoking. They, many were confused. They were frustrated. They were physically addicted and they, um, we're dealing with the consequences of that. And so as a result, um, we took our digital program, Become an X, and created a tailored program um, for young people. And right now that program is text to quit. Um, and we did a, a very soft launch of this and that sharing information about this with the Today Show back in January of this year. And just the earned media from that opportunity brought thousands of young people to our program enrolling um, in this online-based, this text-based program that speaks to them, that uses the terms that they're going to use to quit smoking. Um, And so we're busy evaluating that because we also want to know what its efficacy is, its outcome, um, how helpful is it in terms of helping people quit smoking uh, or vaping. But what I will tell you is uh, early results show that at least three quarters of those who are enrolling in this text to quit program are setting a quit date. And that's always the first step. And for young people to acknowledge they need help, to reach out 
and to set a quit date. I mean, I think that's pretty telling in terms of the extent uh, to which they're dealing with, you know, nicotine in their lives and the fact that they have to vape, that it's not just a fun thing to do with their friends. Now they need it. Um, and they, you know, uh, are dealing with the consequences of that. So in terms of talking to uh, the, the dental and oral health communities, I, I like to say, of course, dentists and dental professionals have such an opportunity to talk to people about um, their oral health and their use of uh tobacco products, including e-cigarettes. So really suggesting that they're talking and asking specifically about e-cigarettes when they're screening for tobacco product use. So no longer just saying, are you using tobacco? Are you smoking? Are you using an e-cigarette? And even getting more specific than that, are you using uh, a jewel? Are you jeweling? Are you vaping? Are you using a device that looks like a USB? Um, and then of course, advising them to try quitting. Um, and we also have shared, and I'll, I'll share with your listeners too, that uh, this is a free program. So anybody who's interested can simply text the word QUIT to 706-222-QUIT for enrollment in the program. And there's also a um, there's also a component from parents as well, because we found out early on that parents wanted to be able to get some support for helping their young, the young person in their life, their teen, their child, um, to uh, to quit vaping, and so um, that's an important resource. I think just this uh, podcast and efforts to really talk about and educate. I was on a webinar last week with the American Dental Association, um, so clearly there is a desire um, to educate um, dental professionals about this um, uh, this epidemic of vaping among young people. Absolutely. So to recap, number one, go to the Truth Initiative website. Look at all of the wonderful resources that you have there to actively ask about whether or not uh, a youth is vaping and phrase it in ways that they would understand, not like old people like us when we just hear e-cigarettes, but try to use the common terminology that resonates with them. Um, and then number three, talk about cessation and talk about it in terms that they can understand and provide resources that are evidence-based, that are available for free at the Truth Campaign website um, and be able to provide that information for them. So educate yourself. So that way you can then educate your patients and then parents of patients. Correct. And just to reiterate, um, uh, and Barbara did say this, that there are two components to, to the e-cigarette quit program. And one is for parents to provide parents with support on how to help their, their teen or young adult um, through this process. And then one is directly with the youth and young adults. And both have been, so far, was like highly successful. Yeah. Um, and they're getting, you know, additional signups every day. And so we're, we're, you know, definitely monitoring it and we're looking for the long-term impact, but very promising signs right now. I know that the Surgeon General has talked about um, pretty specifically in his listening sessions that he plans on when his office releases the report on oral health in 2020, that he plans on tackling issues about e-cigarettes and vaping um, as it relates to youth and sort of how this initiation process has started earlier and earlier. Um, I know I personally have gone to the Surgeon General's website and looked at um, the resources that are available for parents. I have found them really helpful. I know that it gives a lot of just real life situations on how parents can approach this topic with their youth. So finding moments that feel natural. Here's even a list of conversation starters. Here's some things you can say, educate yourself. Um, and so in that vein, um, you know, looking at the Surgeon General's report, 
recognizing that you don't have any previews or anything, but you know, if you had a list of things that you thought would be important to address in the Surgeon General's report, what would you like to see the Surgeon General address in, in this uh, research around e-cigarettes and vaping? Well, I think it would be important for the Surgeon General's report on oral health to look at the impact of all tobacco products on oral health and do a, a good sound review and current review, a current snapshot, if you will, of the state of the science. Um, that's always one of the best things that the Surgeon General's report does. Um, but now this time is an opportunity to include and address vaping. And so I hope that there's an opportunity to review what the science says to date in terms of intermediate or potential long-term health impacts. If you just do a quick review of, of studies um, that have looked at the impact of exposure to vapor, e-cigarette vapor, on um, different aspects of oral or physical health, you do see quite a few studies coming out. And so it'll be important as that body of evidence grows that someone takes a very critical um, uh, and uh, uh, assessment of that and really synthesizes what are the main points, what does the science say, what are the gaps, and what do we know. But I also hope the report then includes just the information on surveillance and the population level impact um, because we don't have time. Time will tell what the long-term and inter even intermediate outcomes are in terms of impacts on health, but we know right now that use has exploded youth are being exposed to nicotine at levels and in ways in which they never were before. Um, and we know conclusively the negative impacts of nicotine on the young adolescent brain. Just thinking about, you know, what the long-term health effects are, which I, there, I am positive there is going to be, um, you know, oral issues uh, around these products, just like there are with other, um, the other combustible products. But just thinking about it in the broader context that this is just, it's this is adversely you know, putting chemicals into their to their bodies and adversely affecting their their health trajectories overall, um, and that they need to be aware. And that probably the mouth is one of the first places we're going to see some of those um, right those adverse right. health effects being mm -hmm. yeah. manifest. Well, and and oral health practitioners were really on the on the front lines whenever we were looking at. Um, just the the damaging um, impact of combustible cigarettes. You know, mm -hmm. really, oral health advocates were the first ones to stand in line and say, "We see this. Right. We see the mouth all the time." And there are all of these other um, terrible impacts that we're seeing: you know, cancer, but we're also directly seeing the the effect of combustible cigarettes on the the teeth and the mouth and the oral mm -hmm. cavity. So it seems like we sort of have always been right there in the front lines with you guys, really trying to educate our population yeah. and the public. Public. Um, I think one thing that the Truth Initiative has taught me, kind of going to the website and reviewing all, the wealth of, of research and information that you have, is that e-cigarettes and cigarette use in general, tobacco products, it's not just about unhealthy, um, you know, your health impact, but there are actually economic there's a strong economic impact, a strong environmental impact. And um, I thought maybe you could expand a little bit on that and, and share some of the research that the Truth Initiative has uncovered around those areas. Well, certainly I can talk to uh, the environment um, and maybe just some of the economics as well. So um, when we think about um, e-cigarette um, use and uh, combustible tobacco use, what we know is that um, cigarette butts are one of the most littered items 
um, on the planet. And so uh, Truth has long called attention to that because the youth that we engage with and seek to message to uh, resonate, that those messages around environment resonate um, with young people. Um, they get it. They care about the planet and the future and their future and the world they live in. And so um, we know a lot about how long it takes for a cigarette butt to degrade and what the impact of that is in the environment and where most of these butts end up. And so uh, we do a lot of messaging, clever uh, health communications around that as well. Um, and again, uh, those resources are available on our website. What we're starting to really study, and I'll really emphasize starting, is the impact of e-cigarette waste. We've looked at some researchers out in California who are really looking at um, uh, a, a few different aspects of this in that uh, there is a, a battery involved. There are concentrations of nicotine in these pods that are often discarded um, on the ground. Um, and then a lot of it's plastic. And so there's this degradation into microplastics. And so just some early studies looking at this um, have been, I think, important in advancing discussions around potential policy around this. California, always a leader when it comes to the environment and environmental policies, um, is seriously looking at the issue of e-cigarette waste and the impact that that has um, on the environment. So that's what I can say about uh, you know the, the the environment, the world that we live in. Beth can maybe talk about mm -hmm. how we've messaged around that. Right, we've done quite a bit of messaging around that. I think our most recent is our Dancing Earth um, that talks about how much we love butts, just not cigarette butts. Um, <laughs> a little rap song. It is actually quite um, adorable. So I would, if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, but again, trying to message in a way that we can engage with this youth and share kind of this really important piece of information about cigarettes being the, one of the most littered items um, in the world. And then the, going back to kind of the economic impact, we know we've also messaged on this on the campaign about that smoking causes, you know, there's like an economic difference among those that are smokers and not smokers. It's not driven by education. It's not, you know, it's really about the differences between being a smoker and a non-smoker. They, they tend to be less, uh, smokers tend to be less productive in the, in the workplace um, and then tend to make lower wages as well as well as having the additional cost of these products um, that they're having to buy on a monthly basis. And so we're, we believe that, that, that there's a kind of a similar trajectory that may be emerging with e-cigarettes, um, given the, the cost associated with them as well. And it's something we want to be monitoring over time. Well, and, and I think you kind of hit on something that I'm interested in learning more about when you talk about economic impact and how you see differences and disparities um, among mm. different um, racial ethnic groups, gender, age. Um, and I, I want to know if maybe the Truth Initiative has any information around the social determinant impact of cigarette use. I know when you're talking about combustible cigarettes, there are a lot of racial and economic disparities, and there's a, a large body of research that sort of substantiated the disparities that we saw. Have you seen that around e-cigarettes and vaping? I would say not yet, right? I mean, it's right now what we're seeing is just this massive increase kind of, you know, at, at epidemic proportions, right, among youth and young adults. Um, we're not seeing a lot of that what I would call health disparity yet, um, because it, it, part of it could be with the novelty of the product. Um, we're, we are seeing differences in the way people are accessing the, the product. There's a difference between those that are owning the product versus those that are just using it 
socially and maybe, you know, bumming it the a puff off of a, um, somebody else's USB drive, but then migrates to, to becoming, quote, the owner of the product um, over time. And so, again, we're monitoring it. Again, we're, we're early in this epidemic. We want to see, um, you know, we would like to stymie it before there are health a ton of health disparities um, happening. And um, and so cause that, that's just where we are right now with this epidemic. And I think the fact that we haven't seen those disparities yet really just reinforces that this is a product with widespread appeal mm-hmm. um, for both um, you know males and females, really across all regions of the country at this point. Um, you know, you see, you know, maybe a few differences by race, ethnicity, but nothing significant. The biggest predictor, of course, is what Beth said earlier, it's age, uh, mm-hmm. greater appeal um, uh, among younger people. I thought that before we closed out our conversation today, um, that we could talk about some very real ways that oral health advocates can partner with the Truth Campaign. So we've talked about the resources that are available on your website, and there really are a host of, of resources. One, to educate yourself about the topic. Um, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of policy information if you're looking for advocacy efforts there. Um, and then three, if you are looking for cessation programs, how to have conversations with patients, and with youth, all of those resources are there. Are there any other ways that oral health advocates can look toward a partnership with the Truth Campaign, and how can they reach out to you directly to make that happen? Yeah, so so you you captured on kind of the the, the top ones. I would I would highly recommend anybody listening um, to this to this podcast to please. Um, join our listserv, check out our webpage, get the information and stay up to date on the on the information around these products. And that will be first and foremost, your best way to kind of um, help us be, be the voice out in the, the public. But in terms of official partnerships, I, we do. Um, we have an email address, partnerships at, the, at truthinitiative.org. We want to partner with groups like um, uh, dental um, public health professionals to to help get that message out. And so if there is a way that, that we can partner, if you have an idea in, in your local community, please reach out to that partnership email and we'll put you in contact with the, with the appropriate um, group here at um, Truth Initiative. Perfect, thank you. So before we close out today, I wanted to give you one last opportunity. Is there something here that you feel like we missed that you want to, to touch on for a minute? Is there a discussion that you wanna close us with or a topic that we should address before we end our conversation today? Yeah, and I don't know if there's anything that we missed, but just, just how important it is that as a public health community that we really do come together to help turn the tide on this epidemic. That the the massive increases in youth and young adult usage over you know a very short period of time needs to have everybody on the edge of their seats and, and alarmed because this can turn a whole generation who we thought we were turning away from from nicotine and combustible use right down the path um, that we had been so successful of um, alleviating and so really really trying to push and and have the entire community and then um, around in public health um, working on that message would be great. Yeah, I'll just uh, I reiterate what Beth said. Um, I think this is uh, something to pay attention to and I commend you and your organization um, for really taking this on as a topic. And 
looking for ways to find information um, and become more educated, um, knowing that dental professionals uh, and dental public health professionals are really in a unique opportunity to really help um, intervene around this issue. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Beth and Barbara, for being with me today. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your advocacy efforts. And thank you so much for what you're doing uh, on behalf of public health advocacy. Um, it's certainly, it is a huge body of work um, and it's a huge issue that you're tackling. And I certainly commend the Truth Initiative for, for approaching this with a scientific evidence-based strategy that seems to be really working. Thanks for joining us for part two of the Truth Initiative series with Anecdotal Evidence, the podcast holding space for public health professionals to share their stories. This wraps up our time with the Truth Initiative, but I want to thank Beth and Barbara again for taking the time to share strategies we can use to support oral health. If you're interested in learning more about how to discuss vaping with your patients or point them toward evidence-based cessation resources, visit the Truth Initiative website at www.truthinitiative.org. The innovative text-to-quit campaign is definitely one to share. Thanks for listening to Anecdotal Evidence. I'm your host, Annalise Cothran, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>